Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Forty-third Psalm, verse 10, reads this way. These are the words of God through King David, his servant. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Our lives are our own to spend, but we spend them only one time. How important then that we invest them wisely. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. That raises a very important question, doesn't it? What is the will of God? We're going to consider from this verse in Psalm 143 and associated verses from both the Old and the New Testament what the will of God is, how we discover His will, and then how do we do it. David was struggling a bit when he wrote this, and I suggest that you see that with me one more time in verse 10. Teach me to do your will. Notice David knew what the will of God was, but he was wanting to know how to do it. You may know what God's will is. You may have come here wondering what God wants you to do in a certain situation in your life. Maybe your career, maybe a relationship you have Maybe it has to do with a job. There's so many scenarios in our lives that beg for us to know what God's will is and then to do it. So we're going to look, first of all, at discovering God's will. Do you ever wonder what God's will is? I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I have been in that situation through the course of my lifetime. I wanted to discover the will of God. In this verse, we are told who is eligible to discover the will of God. So think carefully about yourself now with these two things that we're going to learn from this verse, which create our eligibility to be men and or women who know what the will of God is. First of all, notice what David says. He says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. David had a close, personal, personal, we might even say an intimate relationship with God. It is imperative that we have that kind of intimacy with God in order to know His will. Jesus does not leave us to our own way of determining that. Listen to what Jesus says in this regard. We've been studying in the book of John chapter 15, and the 15th verse reads as follows. No longer do I call you slaves. He's speaking to his apostles. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. 
but I have called you friends. And consequently, I have revealed to you all the things that God the Father has been made known to me. If we know Jesus Christ and we are living in a dependent relationship upon Him, we'll talk about what that means a bit later, then the promise we have is God is going to communicate to you and me who we are, who He is, and what He wants to do in and through our lives. We are to be people who want that kind of intimacy with the Lord. This intimacy is the essential building block to a life that is a life that is fulfilled in doing the will of God and whose life will make an impact not only in our generation, but also in generations to come. David is the psalmist here, and most of the books, I mean, most of the chapters, rather, in the book of Psalm were written by him under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's another psalmist in 71 of Psalms, and this is what he writes. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. Remember that a youth in biblical times was anyone under the age of 40. So that should give some of you a reason to say, I knew I was young. I just wasn't sure what God says about what constitutes youth. This man says, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. Notice the wording. You, I still declare your wondrous deeds. What had he been doing throughout his youth? He had been declaring the the deeds, the wonderful deeds of God. He was a witness for God. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, he goes on to say, do not forsake me until I declare those deeds to this generation and your power to all who are to come. There was some concern on the psalmist's part, wasn't there? That the very fact that he had declared the deeds of God, shared the love of God with other people by telling them about who he was and what he had done, there was some concern that as he grew into middle age and then finally old age, that he would not continue to do that because he knew that was God's will for him. But what he said is in this plea to God, God help me that all of my life, I will be a mouthpiece for you and I will tell others about you. That was the desire of a man like David who knew the essential building block for having a life that matters and a life that discovers God's will is developing intimacy with God, which raises a very important question. How do we develop that kind of relationship with the Lord? Is it possible to have the same sort of relationship with God that King David had and that so many others that we read of in the Scripture had? Well, the answer is a definite yes. Jesus says this about what constitutes eternal life. He says, those who know me and those who 
follow me will know the God of the Bible. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The way that we will know God intimately, and by the way, whenever the idea of knowing God is used in the Old Testament or the New Testament, in every case, the word which is used is not like knowing about somebody. I could say, I know about somebody or I know a person when I really know very little about that person or about that person. But this is a word that's used throughout both the Old and the New Testament to describe experience, experience in knowledge. In other words, spending time with that person, listening to that person, getting to know the person for who the person is, not getting to know the person for what the person can do for us. And all that applies to us in our relationship with the Lord. And therefore, God has given us the means whereby we can be intimate with Him. Let's go back to Psalm 143, verse 10 again. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Lead, let thy good spirit lead me on level ground. Notice the first word in this verse, teach me. He wanted to be taught by the Lord. I am a follower of the, uh, sports. That's no secret to people who come here regularly. And I had one lady dare me. She says, I, pay, I bet you can't preach three weeks in a row without using a sports illustration. I said, I bet you I can. And I did, but then I went right back to my old ways after that. <laughs> I make no apology for that. But the University of Tennessee basketball team had uh, one of the top ten recruits for their basketball team last year. His name's Kennedy Chandler. Kennedy Chandler could have gone to any university in the United States, probably, and played basketball. He stayed there one year. He's in the pros now, playing for the Memphis Grizzlies. But this is what he said when he was asked, why did you choose the University of Tennessee? Because I wanted to be coached by the coach at the University of Tennessee. I wanted Coach Rick Barnes, who is a Hall of Fame caliber coach, who has led programs like the University of Texas and others, great universities in their basketball program. I wanted him to coach me. And I wanted him to tell me what my weaknesses were so that I could grow into a more effective basketball player. And when David says, teach me, he's really saying, coach me, God, coach me. Show me how I am to live. I think I know what you say when you say what your will is, but Lord, help me to go one step farther and help me to do what you prepared for me to do by being who you prepared me to be. This takes sincerity. David was sincere. If we were to go to the 86th Psalm in the 11th verse, we would hear him as he wrote that Psalm. He said this, he said, teach me that I may know your way. Teach me, Lord. Coach me, Lord. And then this is what God says to him in Psalm 32, 8 in that regard. He says, I will instruct you and I will teach you. 
and the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God promises us, if we have a sincere desire to be intimate with Him, to spend time with Him, and then in addition to that, to be teachable, to be coachable, then He promises that He will indeed give us what we need. Wisdom is what it is, bottom line. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let that person ask God. And He will give you the wisdom you need and He will not hold anything back. That's my paraphrase of James 1, 5, and 6. And then remember again what Jesus says in John 10, 27. Jesus says, my sheep, that would be someone like you, if you know Jesus Christ, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. A good shepherd of sheep, even to this day, in the Mediterranean world, where people still shepherd small flocks of sheep, they learn the name the voice, rather, of their shepherd. They learn his voice, and they follow him. Things which I've read, written by shepherds in the vicinity where Jesus was and where David before him was. David was a shepherd boy before he became a warrior and a king. They tell us that those sheep will only respond to their master's voice so that some interloper, some rustler of sheep cannot come in and take them away from their shepherd. That's true for us too. We have to be sincere and then God will teach us. Are you really serious today about knowing and doing God's will? I hope so because remember what we read earlier from Ephesians 1? We are living in dark days. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. We are fools. That's a strong word, but that's what the Scripture says. If we don't make ourselves available to know the will of God, to seek Him. How do we discover His will then, practically speaking, from a personal point of view, I have to want to grow in my knowledge of Him. And that occurs by listening to His voice. And I have to be sincere in a desire to be taught by Him. There are three primary means that God has given to us to help us to understand His will. The first one is the overarching means. And really, if we get this one right, the other two will fall into place. The first is that we know God's will through the Bible, through Scripture. It's said of the prophet and judge of Israel, Samuel, the Lord continued to appear to him at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. God's word is the Bible. The Bible is God's word. And God uses this great book to reveal His will to us. It was true for Samuel, and it's still true for us today. We begin our worship service this morning singing Psalm 119, 
verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That was true for David. That was true for the Apostle Paul. That has been true for every figure who has sought to know and follow the Lord up until this day. And it was not something which was reserved for just a select group of sheep of Christ. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and is saved from his or her sin and trusts Christ, that person will hear the voice of God. This calls for us and really begs us to be men and women who have more than a casual acquaintance with the Bible. And some of you say, well, Mike, I don't understand the Bible. There's an easy remedy for that. And I'm not trying to be flippant or insulting when I say it. The remedy is to come to Christ and say, Jesus, I know what you say in your word, that you open my eyes spiritually and you open my ears spiritually in order that I can know you. The place to begin to understand the Bible is to make sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have yielded your life to Him. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my 50 plus years in being involved in seeking to help people come to know Christ that I've talked to people who were much smarter than I, much better educated than I, people who were very much more gifted than I, great talents, and I would talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about the Bible. And I've had, I'm not exaggerating here, hundreds of people say in response to me, I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand this message of Jesus Christ, which the Bible calls the gospel. And here these brilliant people don't understand. Why don't they understand? Because just as we read from Psalm 40, where David writes in Psalm 40, you have opened my ears that I may hear. Their ears have not yet been opened by the Lord. It's possible, if not conceivable here today, that someone in this room came not really understanding the Bible or the gospel, maybe being a skeptic, but you came anyway. And here's the good news. If we believe in Jesus Christ in the sense of believing who He is, that He is God become man, and He came to the earth for the purpose of making it possible for us to know God, know His will, hear from God, when we understand that, and that Christ died for our sins, that we could never save ourselves because the standard for admission into God's kingdom and into heaven eventually is perfection. I've met one person in my life who basically said that he was perfect. I've never met anyone else who has said that when I've talked to them about this matter. So the opinion is not partial, it's almost absolute. That people know they're not perfect. 
And the Bible says our imperfection is a result of our sin. And our sin, the Bible says all wrongdoing is sin. And that would be breaking any of the commandments of God. That's sin. And then realizing you can't do anything to make yourself right with God, which can be something that's disturbing to say the least. But then once you feel that sense of disturbance and need, and you wonder, how can I come to the place of knowing God and being forgiven of my sin and have eternal life? Well, here's how. Believe in the work and person of Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for your sin. He paid the price of your sin in full. He was raised from the dead and He's ascended into heaven where He lives now to befriend us by pleading our case before God the Father whenever Satan would try to accuse us to the Father as being people who are not qualified for heaven. We're not qualified in ourselves. I hope I'm not misleading you. We are qualified in Jesus Christ and what He's done for us and obeying Him by believing in Him and trusting in Him. So we learn the importance of reading the Bible. Once you come to know Christ, you'll know and understand things in the Bible that were mysterious to you. If we took time, we could go to Ephesians chapter 1-9 where Paul writes how God, through the work of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us, has revealed to us the mystery of the will of God. It's veiled. That's what the idea of mysterious means in that verse. It's veiled from us and all of a sudden the blinders are taken off. The Bible says the God of this age, speaking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But then what has happened? The Lord has taken them away, taken the scales off our eyes spiritually so we could see who He is and hear what He has for us, that He wants us to know Him and grow in intimacy with Him. God reveals His moral will in the Bible. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. We need to pay attention to those. He also reveals His moral will through telling us things to do, like feed the hungry, love one another, and so forth and so on. These are things that we know. They're easy to determine. That is God's will doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out. But what we know is there is a part of God's will that is unique to us as individuals. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. That's promising, isn't it? Isn't that exciting to know? that God has a plan that He has scripted before time for you and me. He talks about it. David writes about it in the 139th Psalm where he says, all the days that were ordained for me, David's speaking to God, all the days that you wanted for me, God, they have already been written in your book and were written in your book. And that would be His plan for you before there was even one day lived. God thought of you before the creation of the world. You say, come on, Mike. There's no way. Well, I'm just telling you what I know to be true from the Word of God. And God is all-knowing. 
He's not limited like we are. We can only know a certain number of people. And nobody knows everybody. Does anyone here know the name of everybody in this room? Well, I'm going to say yes. And it's, sure, it's certainly not me. And here's why I say this. Jesus says, wherever two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am. And Jesus Christ knows you and He loves you. We've already seen how He showed His love to you in that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died to pay the price for our sin. So we have a personal God and He speaks to us promises from His Word. Things that He wants us to understand are part of His will. Let's look at something in addition to the Bible. Look, I'll repeat myself at least once again. That is that the key which unlocks the door is a heart who wants to know God intimately, not for what God can do for you, but what He can do in revealing Himself to you. And then after that, to be a person who wants to be taught. Say, oh Lord, teach me and then be willing to submit to any command and to be able to claim any promise that He has given in the Scripture. Here's another means whereby God speaks to us, through the counsel of godly people. And what do I mean by a godly person? Well, in the book of Psalms, the first verse says this. He says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, we're to be godly. So let's think a little further. Who does not stand in the path of sinners and who does not sit in the seat of scorners, scornful people. Well, let's think about what does it walk mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? It means to hang out with people and influences in our culture and in our surroundings who are not seeking God. That's ungodliness. And we're not to seek counsel from such people because it's foolish. It's the counsel of the evil one. In the book of James chapter 3, I encourage you to read it. Find it for yourself. There is what is described as a demonic wisdom. Those two don't seem to go together, but it's true. And what the world offers to us is just like that. It has some truth to it, but it just enough truth to get our interest, but then it's undergirded by evil because it comes from the devil. So we need to be men and women who listen to the Lord and find godly people who can advise us. And I'm going to give you a formula, and it's not in the Bible, so this is not something that you necessarily have to follow, but I found it helpful. When I'm trying to figure out what God's will is about any number of things. It could be a job for you or could be your life's mate or could be how to manage your money or any number of things. I want to find two godly people, at least two godly people who know you well. They need to know you well. More importantly, they need to know God well because they're going to give you His counsel and here's the third thing, who won't always agree with you. Now, some of us have a tendency when we're looking for someone's counsel, 
we are very careful that we don't pick someone who might get in our face about something, not in an ugly way, but to confront us with something in our lives that would be a roadblock to our knowing God's will. So keep that in mind. Ask God to give you two people who are godly people who know you and who won't just tell you what you want to hear, but will tell you what God would have you to hear. Here's a third area, and this is not as important as the first two, and the most important, hopefully you understand, is the Scripture, because God speaks to us through the Word of God. Going back to Psalm 143, Teach me to do your will, O God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. He wanted to be taught, didn't he? And it was God who was teaching him. Through circumstances, sometimes God leads us. In the book of Proverbs 16, verse 9, we read these words. Many are the plans in a man's mind, woman's mind, but the Lord directs his or her steps. Which would raise a question, why even bother to worry about it? Because God's directing my steps. But in order for God to direct your steps, what have you got to do? You've got to be a man or a woman who reads your Bible. And you read all of the Bible, not in one setting or under a different kind of mandate where you've got to read the Bible once a month or once a week, all of it I'm talking about. But just be a person who has a desire, a hunger for the Word of God, and you read books of the Bible consecutively. And I don't mean you have to read Genesis and then Exodus. You can go from Genesis to Joshua if you want to. But just be on a mission to read all the Bible because the Bible's primary character is God. So you get to know Him when you read the Bible. All of it is about God, and it's about God's will. So read it. It will be a pleasant experience for you. But more than just a, a nice undertaking, it will be that which will enable you. But we also know from Proverbs 16:9, many are the plans in a person's mind, but the Lord directs his or her steps. Now, if I am seeking the Lord to speak to me through his word, and he promises that if I come before him, he's going to speak to me sometimes more clearly than others. But if I have this commitment to daily spend some time listening to God's voice through the Bible, He's going to speak to him, to me and He will direct our steps. I've had decisions I had to make and there was a deadline and I couldn't get a clear picture of what God wanted me to do. I had a couple of ideas in my mind so I was wondering, Lord, please, please, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do what you want me to do. But I came to the point I had to render a decision. And you know what I discovered? The very fact that I wanted to know the will of God. And this is what is said about King David when he was chosen by God to replace Paul, Saul, rather, who was the king, who was a poor king in wickedness in leading Israel. He chose David, a man after God's heart. And the Bible says in Acts 22, who wanted to do the will of God. That's the primary ingredient. Do you want to do the will of God? So when things are a little blurry for us, we can go back 
and consider those words and say, okay, Lord, I'm going with my best judgment here. And God has been working in your mind, not just that time, but for a long time, probably. He's been grounding you in the Word of God. He's taught you what He wants throughout your reading, and He will superintend your decision in that situation. Hudson Taylor was one of the greatest men in the history of the church. He lived in the 19th century. He took the gospel to the people of China in a way they had never heard the gospel. He identified radically with them in his dress and the way he wore his hair like men his age wore their hair and the head dress that went with that. God used him. I encourage you, if you want some good reading, to find a biography of his life and see this man's life. Late in his life, he was talking to a group of missionaries. He was revered by missionaries. He was held up as being the ideal missionary. This is what he said to them. Listen carefully. As God uses me more and more, I seem like a man going along in a fog. I don't know what to do. This is a great man of God who had sought God, had believed God, had trusted God, had been used by God over and over again. And here he is. You think at the end of his life, he wouldn't even have to ask God. It would just happen because he had that intimacy with the Lord and he wanted to be taught by the Lord. But he leaned on Proverbs 16, 9. Many of them plans in a man's mind, but the Lord directs his step. Let's go on and consider one more thing that is well worth our consideration. And that is sometimes we have open doors, things that seem as though God is calling us to, and God shuts the door on it. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who had a burning heart to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he went. But he wanted strategic in the choice of the place. He sought the Lord, the Lord would guide him. He found himself in a place called Troas in 2 Corinthians 2.12, the Bible says, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, the Lord opened a door for preaching the gospel in Troas. I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. The Holy Spirit said, Not here. This is not a place for you to plant a church. You shared the gospel, some people are receiving Christ. I want you to go across the sea and go to Macedonia. That would be the first time the gospel went from Asia to Europe. And the gospel made its way to Europe through Paul and his traveling companions. And so what we know here is that God closed a door and opened a door that was what God wanted. And some of us are of European descent, one way or the other. And someone down the line in our lives heard the gospel. Why? Because God ordained it for Paul not to stay in Troas, but to go 
to Europe in Macedonia, the churches of Thessalonica and the church of Philippi are notable among those. You have to desire God's will if you're going to be able to do His will. But let's get to the doing of His will in the moments remaining. Doing God's will. What kind of person is able to do God's will? It's a person after God's own heart. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, 22, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. You have to desire God. And that's what desiring a life that desires God is one who has a heart that seeks the Lord. Such a person proves God's will by presenting himself or herself to God as a living sacrifice. Now I'm going to quote a couple of verses that that thought comes from. And they're found in the 12th chapter of Romans, verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, Brothers, I write these things to you, and I'm calling you to present your bodies a living sacrifice according to the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do our minds get renewed? From the Scripture. What is Scripture? It's the mind of Christ. Where does Christ dwell? If you know Jesus, He dwells in your heart. How does He dwell in your heart? Well, I'm glad you asked. How do we do God's will? Because of the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. David said to God in Psalm 143, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. You and I cannot figure out the will of God on our own. We have to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to lead me. This is why I believe in part at least when Jesus gives his call to be a follower of him, he says three things. If you want to be my follower, first of all, you have to deny yourself. You put me before yourself and anyone else. You've got to deny yourself. Then you have to take up your cross daily. That means be willing to die to yourself and choose God's way instead of your own way. And then follow me. Follow Jesus Christ. And we follow the Spirit of God when we follow Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of Christ enables us as we follow. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes about our walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Some translators translate it. It's a legitimate translation of the Greek language of the New Testament. Instead of translating walk in the Spirit, they translate it walk by the Spirit. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we walk in the will of God. Doing God's will is impossible apart from Jesus Christ and His Spirit. We've been studying in the book of John 15. God willing, we're going to return there next Sunday. And we've looked at John 15.5 with some degree of thoroughness. And John 15.5, these are the words of Jesus. I am the vine the true vine, talking about a grapevine, and you are the branches. 
Jesus is the vine. We who know him are the branches. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, that is, makes his home in me or her home in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in her or him shall bear much fruit, which, by the way, brings glory to God. That's why we're here. We were created, Isaiah 43, 7 says, we are created to glorify the God. God, we glorify God by bearing much fruit. Then he adds this simple sentence at the end, but it's so important, so relevant to what we're considering today. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, apart from me, you can do some things. Apart from me, you can do little things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And that's what the Lord wants us to understand. When we let go and let God, in the book of Psalms 41, there's a simple statement that says, be still and know that I'm God. The word translated be still in the language of the Old Testament literally means drop your hands and know that I'm God. What that strongly suggests, and it fits what we're talking about at this point, is that until I take my hands off of my life in favor of depending upon the Lord then I will never know God. And remember how important knowing God is? Essential. It's being in an intimacy with Him and then being able to be taught by Him and understand what He says to us so that we won't be people who are constantly pursuing things that are trivial, that are of no value. How much time and money and effort do we spend on such things? They're all going to be burned up someday. But those things which we do in dependence upon Jesus Christ, apart from Him we can do nothing. And you might say, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, there's a certain mystery to it, but simply put, you say, Lord, confess to Him. Lord, I have to this point not taken my hands off of all things pertaining to me. And Lord, it's scary for me to think about do that because I've been living for years, decades doing that on my own. But Lord, I'm taking my hands off now. And you know what the Lord will do? You'll have Him reveal Himself to you and He's going to empower you by His Spirit to accomplish what He wants you to do because you're becoming who He has made you to become. There's something about doing God's will that will strengthen you and satisfy you like nothing else. Jesus is the illustration in this. In the fourth chapter of John, you've read that chapter many times perhaps, there's an encounter which Jesus has at a well outside a village in Samaria with a woman, a woman who was not acceptable in her own town because She was a loose living woman and she came alone to the temple at noonday because she would be rejected and not allowed to draw water if she were with the other women who came early in the day and late in the day. And they got into a conversation. Jesus says, may I have a drink of water? She obliges. Then he says, I have water that you don't know about. 
and it's living water. She wants to know that, and he says, that, that kind of water will last you a lifetime that I'm going to give you. And she says, I want to know it. And in her mind, she's saying, I don't have to come here every day in the heat of the day to draw water. But Jesus and she continued to talk, and he said, I'm the living water. If any man is thirsty, let him, in your case, her, come to me and drink of me, and out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And she came to know Christ that day. She was radically changed. Radically changed. And she did what all people who come to know Jesus do. They want to tell other people about Him. They want to share the good news of Jesus. So she runs into town. She tells the men, and the women wouldn't have anything to do with her, but many of the men knew her, not necessarily in the best way. But they said, we've got to see who this man is who has been the catalyst for such a dramatic transformation in this woman's life. So they go out, they ask Jesus, would you come and stay with us a while? Jesus goes and stays with them two days. But prior to that, the reason Jesus came to the well to begin with from a physical point of view is he was tired, he was thirsty, he was hungry. And so he sent his apostles into a nearby village not a Samaritan village, but a kosher village to get some food. And then they brought the food out and all that had transpired between that woman and Jesus. And before this group of men came, all that had happened and Jesus was sitting along and they said, Master, it's kind of like a dog who fetches a bone and brings it to the master. And the dog's just, yeah, you know, sort of wagging the tail, looking in the face for approval. These guys come back with that kind of hope for some approval from Jesus. And he says, I'm not hungry. They say, why? You know what Jesus said, don't you? He says, my food is to do the will of God. That's what he said. If you and I will make that our goal, to do the will of God, do you know what's going to happen? It's not like you will go on a diet and lose all that weight you've been trying to lose. What it means is, you won't be thinking about the things of the world primarily, but you will be thinking about the Lord. And you'll be strengthened. Isn't it true that when we do work physically, it strengthens us? It does, doesn't it? But it makes us hungry too. So we need more food. And that food is the Word of God. God's Food for us is the Bible. And the Holy Spirit's the one who serves it to us and explains it to us. But doing God's will not only strengthens us, it satisfies us. It satisfied Jesus. He was the picture of serenity all the time. But when they came back with this food that they had traveled to get, Jesus was just sitting there joyful because of what had been done. Doing God's will was at times a struggle for Jesus. Don't make any mistake about this. Satan doesn't want you to do the will of God. The world, which is under the control of Satan, doesn't want you to do that, which will honor God, to do the will of God. But we know that Jesus was tested on more than one occasion. When he was in the desert, remember, for 40 days and 40 nights without food, at the end of that he was tested. His biggest test came when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he was arrested, 
taken before a kangaroo court and really railroaded to the cross and died that awful death of agony. Unbelievable what he did for us on the cross. The Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pled with God the Father three times. Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, if it's your will, Lord, remove this cup from me. He was talking about the judgment of God, which was going to pour out on him so that we could be saved. And three times, what did God say to him? No, no, no. Once that had been settled in Jesus' mind, he had a peace about that. He got up, he went out, he was arrested. And because he submitted to the Father's will, he found superhuman courage to obey God. If you think you're having a hard time in life because you're following Christ, compare it to what Jesus underwent. We're to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. We're to put aside everything that would hinder us finishing the race. And if that were not enough, we're to consider Jesus Christ. How Jesus Christ denied Himself. And how Jesus Christ went to the cross and how He shed His blood for us. The great courage He had. You might say this whole talk about being a man or a woman who makes the will of God my priority. Hey, that's for preachers. You make your living doing that. You hold up in some office up here in the building and you don't have to interact with the real world like I do. Well, I'm not comparing your life to mine or mine to yours. But it's true for all of us all of us. We do the will of God joyfully. We read this in Psalm verse 8 of chapter 40. I delight to do your will, O Lord, because your law is in my heart. What is he talking about, your law? He's talking about, in that case, what we call the Old Testament. Not just the writings of Moses, but the writings of the prophets and the historians and the poets and all that, all of that. I hide it in my heart, he said. I hide it in my heart and therefore I delight to do your will. That's what God wants for you and me, to know his will. After having desired it and having found it and then to do his will. And we make this hiding possible in our heart by meditating on it, thinking about it. How frequently? Day and night. So we need to be careful to do everything written in it. You know, you can carry on a conversation with God in your mind. And please remember that conversing with God is not a one-way deal. We tend to think, I'm praying to God, I'm telling God what I want and what I need. That is secondary to our hearing Him speak to us. And how does He speak to us? By His Spirit through the Bible. I know I'm sounding like a Brooklyn record, but I make no apologies. We need to hear it. We need to teach ourselves that. We need to think about it. And the Holy Spirit begins His work in our lives so that we can meditate on His Word day and night and be careful to do everything written in it, listen to the promise, so that we will be prosperous and successful. You want to be successful in life? Simple. Formula is the same for everyone in this room. It is to say to the Lord, Teach me, O God. 
teach me. You are my God. Teach me your will. I want to know how to do it, Lord. If it was true for David, it's true for us. What results when we do God's will? God is honored. You know the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? You could say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's honoring the Lord, isn't it? To, to hallow means to set apart the name that's above every name. And then His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does He do it through anything other than people who know Him? No. He wants to enlist you and me to be part of His group of men and women who do His will for His glory, to honor Him. And then your life counts. I'm going to stop with this, believe it or not. 1 John chapter 2, 17, listen very carefully. The person who does the will of God abides forever. That's talking about life after death, for sure. But the word abides that John uses here is the same word that Jesus uses repeatedly in John 15, 1 through 17 about His being the true vine and our being branches. And if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, etc., 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 we will glorify God and all those things. It's that same word. And the idea is make your home. That's what it means, abide. Make your home. So let's substitute that working definition that we've had in the book of John and we'll return to God willing next week where this is what we read in 1 John written by the same author who wrote the gospel of John he said the person who does the will of God makes his home in the accomplishment of that will forever after I'm gone from this world I will be influential. Not because I'm a preacher, had nothing to do with that, but because I take seriously what this says, and that can be true for you too. And that is that if we trust in the Lord, not just sort of, not just sometimes, but we make our trust in the Lord the primary goal of our lives, and we put ourselves in touch with God's voice through this book. And He teaches us, and He equips us, and He uses us for His glory so that our lives will count, not just for time, but for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank You for everyone You brought here today. We know no one is here by accident. I thank You, Lord, for speaking to my own heart, even as I have taught this again for the fourth time this weekend. I just praise You for exposing us to the truth. Jesus, we know You say in Your Word that if we abide in Your Word, we will know the truth, and the truth sets us free. Set people free who are in this room. We pray, God, that everyone would be set free in his or her life to do Your will, having discovered it through the Scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.